0: Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt, and I'm a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist. I live on the seacoast of New Hampshire and work with clients in my virtual practice all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition and functional medicine programs. Functional Medicine Nutrition is all about diving deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. And that's exactly what I tackle in this podcast, all things health, food, and nutrition, unpacking current research and almost a decade of clinical experience. I love to bring experts and thought leaders to the table so we can all learn together. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive in. Welcome back, guys. We're back with an interview, and today we're going to focus on the skin, which is funny. I was just saying this is the first time that we've really dove into the skin on the Functional Nutrition Podcast. Now, you've heard me say this a bazillion times before. Modern medicine is extremely specialized. We basically have a specialist for every gland, organ, and system in the body. For skin, we obviously have dermatologists. But what modern medicine is isn't so great with is acknowledging the intersection of those systems within the body. We compartmentalize rather than viewing the body for what it is, one mega super system where all parts are affecting one another. So we're going to dive into that concept today and how it applies to your skin. And we've got Jennifer Fugo on the line, who's a clinical nutritionist, empowering women who've been failed by that conventional medicine system to beat chronic skin challenges. Because she's overcome a long history of gut and gut issues and eczema, Jennifer has empathy and insight to help her clients discover the missing pieces and create doable integrative plans. Simply put, Jennifer believes that you deserve better, and that's why she launched her website, Skinterrupt.com, which I will of course link to in the show notes so you guys can go check it out there. Uh, She wants to interrupt the failed conversation about chronic skin problems with helpful alternatives that you aren't being told about. She has a master's degree in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport and is a certified nutrition specialist. Her work has been featured on Dr. Oz. Reuters, Yahoo, CNN, and many podcasts and summits. Jennifer is an Amazon best-selling author and the host of The Healthy Skin Show, her own podcast. So Jen, thanks. Welcome to the show. Is it Jen or Jennifer? Jen is totally fine. Okay, cool. I just snuck that in there and I was like, ah, why did I say that? (laughs) Um, Welcome to the show. I'm really, really excited to talk about skin with you today.
1: Awesome. And I'm so glad that I'm able to help create this grounding for your listeners as well, because I think a lot of times the way we hear about skin is, well, you have a skin problem. And what I've discovered is you don't truly have just a skin problem. There's a lot more going on underneath the surface.
0: I feel like for so many of us healthcare providers and and practitioners, our pain point is usually our professional jump off point. Um, So I'm assuming that you've had some significant skin issues of your own, so why don't we start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and your journey and what brought you here?
1: Absolutely, well, I will say the thing that brought me to be focused around skin issues is that back when I was in college uh, for my master's degree, I was incredibly stressed out. I mean, going to a master's degree full time, running a business full time, helping my parents with their medical practice and doing a bunch of other things on top of being a wife and an aunt and all sorts of stuff. I was just crazy, crazy busy. And it got to the point where I think, which is pretty common for a lot of people in their thirties where they're like, oh, I should have gone to school for this the whole time. (sighs) You go back to school and you don't realize, or you forgot how hard it was and how stressful it was and my body really had a difficult time managing the stress load and so back in 2014 i started to develop these weird rashes on my fingers and the only way it, it wasn't initially a rash initially my eczema looked like these little tiny like little glass beads under the surface like in the webbing of my fingers and I didn't know what it was. I had never noticed it before. I thought it was really strange. And then after a while it became incredibly itchy. And of course I'm itching and then it gets red and the little tiny beads burst. And now you've got this like ridiculously crazy rash that burns and all sorts of things. And then eventually it would calm down and the whole cycle would start over again. And eventually, I showed it to my dad, who was a doctor. And he's like, well, it's probably some type of you know, dermatitis. I don't know what, because he's an ophthalmologist. wasn't The hands aren't, and skin aren't necessarily his specialty. And he gave me some steroid cream and said, look, just an FYI, you need to use this as sparingly as possible. Don't slather it on. Don't use it multiple times a day. There's a lot that of damage that this can do if you use it too much. So I'm glad that I got that warning because apparently a lot of people don't. And so the steroid cream would really help and I would, kept going through these flare cycles where the rash area would get larger and larger until the point where it started to encroach onto my palm, the palms of my hands, up the fingers, and then I began to have issues with the way my nails grew out. So they became really disfigured and ugly. And so, I mean it drove me nuts i went to the dermatologist i was all proud of myself that i was like i think i have dysedroidic eczema she's like oh you do (laughs) the one time a doctor did not get mad that i had googled what i had (laughs) and i thought she was going to have something novel for me you know it's like this isn't that long ago i'm thinking oh well you know she's gotta have something better than a steroid cream and she's like i don't know you should just use a steroid cream and then use these a, a couple other types of creams when it gets um bothers you and then you know what during the day keep vaseline on the your skin so that the moisture stays locked in and i was like are you serious because i mean number one i'm not comfortable just putting vaseline all over my skin i understand you know that it might not You know, it looks safe to conventional medicine, so that's fine. I understand that, but I'm not quite comfortable with that, aside from the fact that practically I don't want Vaseline all over my house, all over my clothes, all over my cats, everything. And so there was really no suggestion of how to help this. It was just managing it with more creams. And she said if it didn't get any better, she would have other creams to give me, but I should expect to basically just learn how to live with this. And I like it was one of the hardest doctor's appointments to walk away from because I was getting to the point where I didn't want to leave my house. I could no longer teach cooking classes locally because my hands looked so bad that I was and I was horrifically embarrassed about them. I was uncomfortable shaking people's hands. And sometimes people would actually look at my hands right before shaking and be like, oh, is there a way to bail out of this because I don't want to touch her? She looks infected. I mean, I understand. I do. But It still hurts in the moment. And I couldn't go to the gym anymore because I couldn't touch equipment. I couldn't wash my hands anymore, which was like one of the bigger hurdles because water burned so badly. So it wasn't even the soap, the water itself burned. Um, I I had to wear these blue gloves like that I could kind of dispose of that I would buy at Home Depot all the time so that I would have to not then wash my hands. Washing my hair was really hard. I mean, it got to the point where I was constantly obsessed with my skin. Sometimes I couldn't sleep through the night. I would wake up itching myself. I didn't even know I was doing this. It just was driving me insane and made me feel like, I don't know, like the, like somebody put the maloika on me or something. I'm like, did I do something wrong? Did I commit some atrocious sin that I have no idea about that? I'm paying for and suffering for and um I realized in that moment how horrific this is. And, you know, fortunately, my family is all in like conventional and Western or Eastern medicine, so both straddling both sides. So they all understood. But I, there was no way to reconcile with living a normal life anymore um, if I was going to have to learn how to live with this, because it was just getting worse and worse and worse. Um, so my husband was the shining light in that he encouraged me to take a look at my skin from the perspective that I would like if I was to work with a client, right? So I'm going through this master's program that's really focused on integrative nutrition. And um, looking at that was helpful, but I can tell you, I tried a lot of the natural stuff, the, the remedies, the protocols, the different supplements, and nothing helped. Some things would help me better manage when I had a flare, but nothing stopped it. And I got really desperate. So I put together this. I thought, you know, I'm going to do something entirely different. I don't know if this is going to work, but this is like my last ditch effort. And I created this protocol. And honestly, if I had gone like today, I would never give someone this. Product. It was not the greatest of ideas, but whatever. It worked. Magically, it worked it did take many many months it took 6 months for flares to stop it took a year for the skin to grow back out normal and a bit longer for the nails to finally come back in healthy but you know i it was an eye opener to me to realize that a lot of what we're telling people about how to address chronic skin rash conditions is basically from this framework that you are going to have to live with this in a flare and and kind of okay state for the rest of your life going basically going in circles and we're just going to give you some supplements and some creams and some salves and these gloves you could put on your hands or wrap your body in this material or whatever it's all to manage and i was like no this is not okay. This is a tremendous amount of suffering. And that was why I started doing this because even though I had helped myself, I still was in Facebook groups with these people and I saw their pictures of, you know, they post pictures of, you know, where they have the rashes or they'll post pictures of their poor children. And I was just like, I can't leave these people behind. I want them to know what I know. And that was really how I ended up here.
0: Do you find that your experience... Um... Is, very, is 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 common place i mean is that would that, that be the experience that somebody with chronic skin rashes and skin issues going to a conventional medicine doctor going to uh, a dermatologist w- would w- walk me through what that process would would be like would it be very similar to yours
1: pretty much and because i work with i would say about 90% of my clientele in my clinical practice is for chronic skin problems, I hear about their dermatologist appointments. And it's oftentimes, sorry, I don't know what you expect me to do. This is the best I can do for you. The first thing and usually the most common thing that they'll ever be recommended is topical steroids, which will then veer toward immunosuppressants and biologic drugs when they've run out of those options um they are very unlikely to do a culture or a skin swab even if you beg them so sometimes i've coached clients on how to negotiate with the doctor to get one done um i mean it is to the point where people and it runs a gamut some people just have these issues and they're like well you know my life isn't a total train wreck right now i just don't i can't this is not tenable like this. Whereas there's other clients that literally on the verge of having to quit their jobs because they cannot sleep at night. They're so fatigued. They're itching themselves like crazy. They feel like they have almost like bugs underneath their skin. It's driving them nuts. Their entire face or scalp or any areas like flaking apart. So they can't even wear any colored clothing because it shows up. Um, and for some people, they're in a tremendous amount of pain, their skin's burning. Yes, so absolutely. And it's not to demonize dermatology. I mean, there is this, there is this whole concept of standard of care, which a lot of people When we get frustrated with our doctors, we don't understand the politics, so to speak, of how and why certain things happen. Because the standard of care for dermatology is, oh, you have a rash, here's a steroid cream. It's not, ooh, let me run blood labs. Let me look deeper. That's not how this works. And that's why it's so difficult. Like I have a whole um, blog on skinterrupt.com that tells you like what conventional labs could help you figure out what's going on under the surface. I cannot tell you how many people have brought that list to their dermatologist and the dermatologist is like, I don't run labs you you know go talk to your family doctor about that. I'm I have zero interest in doing that. I just don't do that. And I'm like, they're a doctor. You've the you're allowed to run labs, but they just don't. And so um it really gets to a point where people can get desperate and they're looking for other things and they want to understand what's happening underneath the surface and and that's how usually they end up stumbling upon some of my content. But yeah, it's very very common to feel Frustrated, and there are some people that I mean, it's sad. In the Facebook groups, you'll see people at least once or twice a week saying like they're they're basically giving up on life, and and in, not in a good way either, which is really scary. Um, so there's a whole mental health component to this that is not really discussed out there. Uh, people in these Facebook groups know it because we see this happen a lot, and I understand it is a level of suffering that I consider complete and total hell that people are living through and when someone tells you oh well you just don't know how to moisturize your hands correctly or you're just not washing with the right soap that is the most angering thing that you can say to somebody that is trying desperately to figure out what is wrong whether they have eczema rosacea psoriasis dandruff tinea versicolor lichen sclerosis like you don't you don't need to tell me about how to wash myself or moisturize myself. I understand. I've tried so much. I've spent so much money on products. You have no idea and you don't like this isn't a, it isn't as simple as that. And so that's where I think the jumping off point comes to start digging in deeper and saying, okay, well, what could really be driving this? Because clearly just addressing the skin alone is not working.
0: It's like telling a, a mom of a sleepless baby, oh, maybe you just need to X, Y, Z. You're like, yeah, mm-hmm. I've I've thought of all the things. I've applied all the things. Thank you for your <laughs> thanks for that. Um, but I, you know, what's I, I want to talk before we dive into to to some root causes and what might be going on under the hood, so to speak. I do want to touch upon this because it's it's so important because the skin is really our most forward-facing organ obviously when we interface with the world the world sees our skin and we see so many airbrushed images of these like mm. you know these perfect people it's it's kind of like weight loss I mean that's that's something I talk about a lot is diet culture we live in this fat phobic diet-centric society so we kind of think when it comes to our body like I don't care what the expense is. I want to lose weight no matter the cost. It's almost like robbing Peter to pay Paul, like we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to do the thing, the quick fix, um, because it's so important for us to look a certain way. And then when you add on top of that physical pain, itching and, and all of the things that are associated with, with skin rash, I mean, I bet people are really... Tr- willing to try some some wild things to feel better. And if they're not getting solutions from their doctors, they're kind of left to their own advices. One thing that I saw on your Instagram that shocked me is that um, it's a stat, 36% increased risk of suicide attempts mm-hmm. in those with eczema. And I could not believe that, but after hearing you speak about it, it's starting to make a little bit of sense to me.
1: Yeah, it's really upsetting. and And I want people to know too that it's not just eczema that has the the stats. And I actually have some great stats too on some other conditions, but like psoriasis, for example, also shares a risk of various um, I guess various aspects of, of potential suicide. Like there's a 20% increase risk of suicide, ideation, behaviors, attempts of suicide, as well as completed suicide. And so the younger the people are, so 20 somethings versus say like 60 year olds, the younger you are, the greater risk you are, you are at. And that actually came from, um, a study from the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology. Um, but with the eczema thing, I mean, I wasn't surprised when I read that, yeah, there was a derma dermatology study that looked at over 300,000 of these patients, and they said that 44% were more likely to have suicidal thoughts, 36% were more likely to attempt suicide. And what was also really disturbing was that there's a significant portion of people who have contacted their doctor the week or even month before their suicide asking for help specifically on their eczema i mean this is a very serious problem and 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 if anybody is feeling that way i just want to acknowledge you i i i definitely understand where you're feeling if you're suffering that much or if you know somebody that's suffering you need to be aware of this and make sure that they have a community, they connect with people who understand what they're going through, because just trying to fix them and throw everything at them and tell them they're not doing things right is not really helpful. This this takes away every ounce of your self-worth and your self-confidence, aside from all of the physical issues that you cannot run from.
0: Okay, so clearly there's a real need um, to help Folks with these chronic skin conditions, um, but unfortunately, there's still this this disconnect of like, all right, well, how do we treat people? I this is a memory that it's like it's such a weird memory because it's not exactly that profound, but it will always stick out in my head. Um, a, a a Facebook acquaintance of mine posted on Facebook a few years back um, that she was struggling with rosacea and she was looking for recommendations for cream that could help her. So you know, all these people are you know all the mlms come out of the woodwork and they're like my cream's the best my cream's gonna cure cancer like (laughs) all the things pretty much so i texted her um just because i'm not i'm I'm more of a private person i don't really love to like just you know dole out unsolicited health advice on social media and i texted her and i'm like hey something to consider rosacea can often be a sign that something wonky is going on in your gut you know there's there's a very known established link between rosacea and SIBO, small intestinal mm-hmm. bacterial overgrowth, for example. And she was like completely closed off to the idea, just like totally shut me down. Like she's like, nope, my digestion is fine. Um, it's it, But it, I think it stuck out in my head because it's it really speaks to the way that we view the human body. Like I said earlier, it's very compartmentalized. Um, the, well, this is a skin issue. This is an issue going on outside of my body. So the only things that be, could be causing this are the things that are in my external environment outside Mm -hmm. my body and the only things that can fix or help me are things outside of myself like hence looking for a cream to solve the problem and then of course this this belief is continuously reinforced every time we try to seek out help if we do have dermatologists saying like hey i I don't i can't really help you i'm not going to run these labs to to figure out what's going on inside but i've got a cream let's try to manage the symptoms so talk to us a little bit about where to start you had mentioned there are conventional labs maybe that would be a good starting point point. and why would we why would be wanting why would we want to run labs if we have an issue with our skin and jen will answer that question in just a moment after a quick word from our sponsor coyote river hemp co here's an interesting fun fact CBD is one of the top search words or terms on my website, AaronHoltHealth.com, which clearly tells me people want to learn more about CBD and they're specifically looking for what brand I recommend. So I'm gonna save you some research time. Coyote River Hemp Company is the way to go. I know the company, I trust the company and the farms where their products are sourced, which is so important. Here's a fact that you want to keep in mind when purchasing CBD. Full spectrum whole plant is the way to go. The whole plant is going to work so much better than isolating out cannabinoids, so you want to avoid CBD CBD by itself or CBD isolate. And Coyote River does use that full spectrum hemp oil, which is one of the reasons that I personally use their products. Lucky for you, we've got your a discount. Funk Ten, so that's the um, F-U-N-K and the number 10, you will save 10% off any of your purchases of Coyote River Hemp Company products at goodandcompany.co. I will link that up in the show notes for you guys. Spend $75 or more, you get free shipping. So do yourself a favor, stock yourself up, save 10% and you get free shipping. You will be very glad that you did.
1: The thing is with your skin is that it's built from the inside out, not from the outside in, right? So layers of skin are built and they slowly move out until eventually we shed those skin cells. So you have to have necessary building blocks available to you in order to build healthy skin. I mean... I also want to clarify, too, that healthy skin does not mean perfect skin, right? Like you had mentioned earlier about that whole concept of airbrushing and everyone has this glorious, perfect skin, no wrinkles, no nothing. That's not what we're talking about here. And honestly, when my hands were super messed up, I didn't care about anti-aging. I didn't care about that. (laughs) I just wanted it to stop, (laughs) to be honest with you. And so I think a lot of times we get We've been conditioned to see all the creams as our only option to address things, but I'll, I'll throw something out at you that, and this is by the way, not worthwhile testing, but there's a particular gene called filaggrin that codes for a protein called filaggrin, And filaggrin is almost like the mortar mix that is used in between the skin cells to help create a healthy skin barrier. So there is a lot of research about the dysfunction of that gene product so the enzyme itself to make filagrin, Um if if the protein itself is not put together properly or for example you don't have enough histidine in your system so histidine is an amino acid which filaggrin happens to be um, it's a very it's one of like the number one amino acids found in this protein you're gonna have a faulty skin barrier and so then you go, well, wait, should I test for the gene? I'm like, no, I've, I've asked, I've asked for you already. So the answer is no, you don't need to, because there's two reasons that would cause that issue. The first is, yeah, okay, you could have a SNP in that gene. All right, great, what are you gonna do about that? That's not really helpful at this point. But the second thing that can also really mess up the gene where doctors like Dr. Peter Leo have really refocused my thinking is, Inflammation internally driven is what disrupts the production of healthy filaggrin. So then we have to go, wait, where's the internal inflammation, right? But that could come from anywhere. So when you think that your skin is just your skin, it's not. It's connected to everything else. There's a gut-skin axis. There's a skin-brain axis. There's a lot of connections between skin and other symptoms. Um, and, And even, for example, if you've been using topical steroid creams for a long time, even like... Some sort of cortisone that you bought at the pharmacy, you know, with no prescription and you're using that every day. There's something called topical steroid withdrawal that you should familiarize yourself with because uh, topical steroids are cortisol. That's what they are. And you're applying topical cortisol to your body every single day, it gets absorbed in and it then tells your adrenals that it doesn't have to produce cortisol. So you need increasing doses then of steroid cream. And people eventually have to stop all steroid creams and go through a horrific process. And I mean horrific like underscore bold horrific process that there is no easy fix for um, to get your body to start producing cortisol again. Um, It is awful and this is something people don't talk about. So if you think that it's just your skin, then you are entirely wrong. So when I look at a client, what I'm looking for is number one, do we have enough nutrient stores? You can see a lot of information through a CBC panel. I love to see a fasted uh, comprehensive metabolic panel so we can look at liver values. Um, I also like to see a lipid panel because I feel like that kind of helps to tell us what's going on with the liver. Liver is a critical piece to this puzzle as well. I love to see uh, serum B12, folate, vitamin D, vitamin A. Vitamin A is really crucial for not just healthy skin, but also for healthy vision and healthy thyroid. Um, and then also looking at other things like maybe homocysteine should be looked at. That's a great marker for B6. And you know, then we may be looking at ferritin, which is both a storage marker for iron as well as inflammation maybe a full iron panel possibly uh looking at your thyroids i love to see a full thyroid panel if you can get one and um you know then potentially looking at things like a sed rate and the crp so c reactive protein to also look at different inflammation markers from there it may vary based on a particular condition so you know but that's that's a good place to start
0: okay so we're looking for inflammation potentially some nutrient deficiencies you had mentioned the thyroid can you talk to us a little bit about the we talk a lot about the thyroid on the show can you talk to us a little bit since the audience is well versed in thyroid stuff the connection between thyroid and your skin
1: yeah absolutely so when your thyroid is not functioning properly right so we don't either have enough uh, free t3 in the body in order to get cells to do what they're supposed to do, everything slows down. So that means that cellular turnover, including at your the level of your skin, is slowed. It also causes toxins and toxic waste from those cells to be removed at a slower pace. So they sit longer in a toxic environment, unfortunately. And we see less nutrients then making it out to those cells as well because of, you know, this whole process of that incredibly important metabolic center slowing down so to speak i mean this is a really important part of it's a thermostat of the the house you know it helps to manage things um and in some respects it could be considered a command central so uh, you know it's also not uncommon by the way um to see skin rashes in people who have low thyroid because that's one of the symptoms of it so i've had clients um deal with skin rashes uh that are pretty severe and they had underlying uh, thyroid issues i actually had one client not too long ago who who has psoriasis and we're still working through her case but she her mood everything was so so off and her her symptoms were so severe i said you know you should get your thyroid checked and her tsh came back at like 33. whoa i've never had a client have a TSH that high Um, and now that the doctors because the endocrinologists were like oh my gosh and of course they did something Um, but once that's been more normalized she is feeling so much better not even just from a physical perspective because the the really bad symptoms have all kind of reduced to a degree that's way more manageable but her mood has improved drastically she's like she's not out on a ledge basically because that's how she felt at that time So it's really not common um or it's very common excuse me to see some sort of thyroid dysfunction if especially the worse someone's symptoms are it's it's a place you always have to look
0: and then you had also mentioned um looking at liver function i think something that we we often hear is that we'll detox through our skin so if like somebody goes on a cleanse they might see Skin manifestations, their skin kind of acts a fool. Is there any validity to that?
1: Well, your skin will certainly have to push things out if everything else internally that's supposed to do detoxification is all backed up. Um, I don't tend to recommend detoxes or cleanses to people that have chronic skin issues because usually they get worse, way, way worse. It could be a candida cleanse or a gut detox or whatever. Um, That is not usually the right way to go um i in fact don't believe that liver detoxification like we think of detoxification as like your liver's like a sponge and it it sucks up all the toxins floating in the body that's not what it does that is so wrong and it's not it's it's just it misleads people into thinking that by detoxing their liver right we're wringing out the sponge of all the toxins it's been holding that's that's not the case so your liver has two phases to detoxification phase one is based on genes and um certain things like caffeine or um, tylenol for example acetaminophen can upregulate or make those pathways go faster and then there's almost like a waiting room that hangs out between that phase one and phase two things that go through phase one are actually believe it or not made more toxic so then then they sit there in that waiting room and then they're waiting to go down phase two and then some other toxins that are produced in the body especially like in the gut for example all everything produces waste and if there is waste being produced in the gut that also ends up at the liver for it to quote unquote detoxify and so you can have things coming in then, um, just through phase two, but phase two, the pathways are, are dependent upon the amount of nutrients that you have to support those pathways. So for example, the glutathione pathway needs glutathione, the glycine pathway needs glycine and B6. Um, you know, you need, uh, sulfur, you need a lot of different nutrients in order to make these pathways run. If you don't have them, nothing happens so everything just builds up and the waiting room gets more and more and more and more crowded and you feel worse and worse so when people go and do like they do a um i i'll never forget how many people have told me well the doctor said i probably have a gut problem or the or the whoever their practitioner was and they put me on this like candida cleanse or you know a gut protocol and my skin went crazy well, of course it did, because they didn't make sure that the phase two liver detox pathways were clear and humming along. So you backed up an already stuffed waiting room with a bunch of toxic little gizmos that are sitting there having a lot of fun at your expense. So the first step that I always recommend to people is stop, stop with the detox. That's not what you need to do. You need to support your liver. And in order to do that responsibly, you have to feed it the nutrients it needs in order for those pathways to run. You get that cleared out and then you're able to go into those next phases of addressing what is going on with their their health. Um, but that's usually, that's like my first step.
0: Awesome. That's such a good explanation. Um, and I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said. Now, um, let's get into the guts a little bit. We, um, we talk a lot hear about the gut microbiome, and I've mentioned several times over that we have many different microbiomes throughout and on our bodies, and the skin is one of them. The skin has its own microbiome. So can you talk more about what that is, what that means, and then is there a connection between the microbes on our skin and the microbes living in our guts?
1: absolutely so the skin microbiome is actually known as a lipidome because it's fat loving it the bugs actually munch on fat and lipids not like in our gut where they like to munch on fiber so there is a bit of a difference between the type of bugs that we're going to see on the skin versus what's in the gut there's actually 19 different phyla bacteria that are found on the skin um, it can include things like actinobacteria, formicutes, proteobacteria, bacteroides. So yeah, we have some of the same classes, but um, consider this. So for each in, square inch, excuse me, of bacteria living on your skin, there's about 1 billion organisms and that includes bacteria, fungi, mites, and viruses. And that's a healthy commensal bacteria or, or a microbiome. It shouldn't just be bacteria. And I say that because people who deal with seborrheic dermatitis or dandruff are plagued with something called malassezia overgrowth. And a lot of times what we'll see is shampoos, creams, all sorts of things topically applied to get rid of and control malassezia because we're we're kind of like oriented toward the fact that malassezia is bad. But Wait, that's is actually, that
0: is that a bacteria or no a yeast it's a herb? it's a
1: fung it's a fung okay. fungus. Just okay. like candida you can have candida on the skin as well. That is possible, but Malassezia is the most common fungus that lives on the skin, and it's actually supposed to be there. Um, and, and I'm happy to talk a little bit more about how your system gets confused um, in a moment about like why it starts to actually attack Malassezia, and then we end up with this issue with dandruff and seborrheic dermatitis. But it's important that you understand that We don't want to just wipe out the bacteria because you create a vacuum that allows for things that are opportunistic to take over. So that's what we have to be careful. That's why, and I know this might be shocking to some people in your audience, I really recommend that people stop slathering themselves with coconut oil because coconut oil is way too antimicrobial. It is just getting rid of everything. And especially for my friends with eczema, stop using coconut oil. Stop using skin products that have coconut oil in them. It often times is a trigger and makes things worse so so that said when we understand what the skin microbiome is then we can see that wow okay maybe it's taking cues from someplace else and that's sort of what i see is like if there's an issue at the level of the skin where the skins become quote unquote leaky right so we have leaky gut we can also have leaky skin and so essentially we now need to look elsewhere and say well where is it taking its cues to be so dysbiotic so to speak and what we tend to see at least what i've seen in my clinical practice and in research is that the gut and what's going on in the gut is basically telling the skin, so to speak, how to show up, what the microbiome should look like. So if it's dysbiotic in the digestive tract, you're going to see dysbiosis at the level of the skin. So back to your friend, your Facebook friend that had rosacea, okay? Now in case your friend is listening to this, just so you know, there, are, there has been legit research out there since 2013. <laughs> about rosacea and the connection of what's going on in the gut. I actually interviewed Dr. Weinstock, who ran this this, uh, piece of research or did it, wrote about it. And in that study, he says 46% of prospective patients with rosacea had small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And this also includes people who have ocular rosacea too. So it's not just skin, it's also what's going on in the eyes. So hold on, I, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah.
0: What's ocular rosacea?
1: Ocular rosacea is where the, uh, the whites of the eyes tend to become pinkish. So a lot of times people, and this is just from under, my dad's an ophthalmologist, is that you get diagnosed usually with ocular rosacea first if you have it, and then it'll show up later in the skin. And so... This and this, Dr. Weinstock, who I've had on the the Healthy Skin Show a couple of times, actually found that when he would treat these patients with rifaximin, which is the common (laughs) antibiotic used for SIBO, their rosacea would dramatically improve. So, you know, he's he's a GI doctor. He's not a dermatologist. He's putting these pieces together, and that's one reason that I I put the show together because I'm like, nobody's talking to one another. We need to like get all this stuff together so people know. But yeah, 78% of the patients with SIBO when they were treated with Rifaximin saw complete resolution of their issues.
0: That's unbelievable. Mm Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Let me let's journey back to the yeah. um, seborrheic dermatitis. Am I saying that right? I always yes. feel like I'm butchering that one because yes, you yes. had mentioned how our t- talk a little bit more about that because I I I feel like I keep hearing more and more and more about this. So I feel like there's pe- probably people in the audience who are like, talk more about that.
1: Yeah, um, dandruff is really. Embarrassing. Um, My husband had it, so we've dealt with it in our family. I've not had it. I had eczema. Um, He had seborrheic dermatitis. And what was really interesting in the cases that I've worked on, and then doing um, interviews with other dermatologists that have worked on it, is that basically there tends tends to be this is important tends to be a connection with fungal overgrowth within the gut. Okay, so what happens is your gut. And the immune system becomes sensitized to like candida and other fungal organisms. And because it's always trying to protect us, it begins to look elsewhere in the body. And unfortunately, like I was saying, we have malassezia on our skin. And the areas that it predominates are where our hair is. Our hair, our um, the eyebrows around the mouth where the, a beard would normally be. Um, so it's not uncommon to see like men, my husband had it in his, uh, all over his face and in his, um, scalp, basically wherever hair was growing, he had big, big flakes and redness and itching and burning. And that's why, because the immune system is actually attacking those malassezia and that's why it ends up looking like quote unquote dandruff. And so when you use like head and shoulders, for example, you get rid of the malassezia for a period of time and it goes away. And then after a couple of days, it starts to come back because the malaisezia come back. And so you're basically. Fighting a losing battle. At some point, you know you have to use more and more of these products, or you have to use stronger and stronger products. When in actuality, what you need to do is get the immune system to stop acting like that. And so, I don't actually recommend, believe it or not, the anti-candida diet because I don't think it really works. I think it's great as a management tool, but most people like don't want to manage candida for the rest of their life. So you really want to rebalance the gut appropriately and address fungal organ. But I will say this, and remember I said tends to be associated with candida. My husband did a lengthy um, protocol addressing candida, but we couldn't get him the last bit of the way. Ended up by accident because it was a summertime getting cellulitis from a bunch of mosquito bites and had to take Keflex as a result that Keflex knocked it the rest out. So that's why I caution people, don't assume that just because you read online that seborrheic or dermatitis or dandruff is associated with Candida, that that's the only problem. Sometimes you can have a mixed bag. A mixed bag could be parasites or bacteria or fungal organisms, whatever. Like you can't just make assumptions because one person's story you read about must be your story, must be what's your truth. And so that's why I encourage people to really look deeper. Um, I have yet to have a single client that has chronic skin issues, not have at at the least dysbiosis within the gut when we do stool testing. But I will also say this. I've had a lot of skin clients that have no gut problems whatsoever. They poop like a champ, no gas, no bloating, no nothing. And those ones, unfortunately, (laughs) come back with the highest amount of hidden infections living within their gut. So that's why I would really strongly encourage you. You know, Think about, have you been to any third world countries? Even if you didn't get sick, that does not mean you didn't pick something up and bring it back with you, and it's just been lingering underneath the surface. Um, you know, consider if you're drinking well water, consider is it possible that your well water could have been contaminated? I've had clients, well water was contaminated with something that was causing the problem, uh, like a particular bacteria. Um, and, and think about, you know, have you been exposed to antibiotics? Have you been exposed to birth control pills, which also alter the gut microbiome? And don't assume that you don't have enough gut bacteria there. A lot of people think, and I actually too was under this mis, m- misunderstanding that because of the chronic exposure that many of us have been exposed to with antibiotics that gut, our guts just wiped out, we don't have enough gut flora. It is shockingly uncommon when I've run stool tests on clients, it is shockingly uncommon to see a gut that doesn't have a lot of bacteria in it. Mm-hmm. Most of them have way, 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 way too much. And it's all over the place and there's it's just a mess. So, that's why when you start to dig deeper and you're like, oh, I'm going to do this cleanse, take a step back, hit the pause button, start doing some real research into what's going on for you. Um, because I think when we pay attention to all symptoms as a whole, like we look at the body as a symphony and at all the signs and symptoms and the cries for help, essentially, which is what they are that's when we can start to see the underlying problem. Like why it shows up in your skin and not someplace else. Like why the people are ending up with all these skin issues and not gut problems when they have like five infections. I don't know. But that's just how it shows up for them. So don't assume it's just a skin problem because it could be this dysbiosis of the gut. It could be gut dysfunction or dysfunction where basically any facet or step in the digestive process is wrecked. So if you don't have enough stomach acid, for example, you now have a lot of proteins that are not being digested, ending up in your large intestine. And you're like, wait, wait, Jen, but we absorb protein in the small intestine. That's true, we do, if they're digested, if they're broken into small pieces. But when we have proteins that are undigested because we don't have enough stomach acid available to us, they end up in the large intestine and they feed bugs. Those bugs ferment those proteins. And those fermentation products are very toxic. And to, to like kind of like just further explain why that's important is that research around psoriasis has shown us that they have found those products of fermentation lodged in plaques, the sur- psoriatic plaques. And they know that those putrefied proteins. 50% of them, make, them in, make it into our bloodstream within an hour after eating. So you're exposing your system to something that's highly inflammatory. And that's just people with psoriasis. But for example, this, is, this goes for anybody. You may not have psoriasis, but it's showing up in some other way. So realize that we aren't what we eat. We are what we absorb and we've gotta look at the full picture of what's happening to you from a gut function perspective, microbiome. Yes, diet and food, you can always like people are like, oh, what should what diet should I eat? Should I avoid this food? Should I avoid that food? most people who do really restrictive diets for their skin have a very difficult time getting back on them so be very cautious with that i do very minimal restrictions with clients and it, most of the time it's not necessary and it causes actually orthorexia f- to do that to yourself but nutritional deficiencies the liver detox challenges is a big piece of this trauma unmanaged stress the genetic piece so phalagrin and sometimes there's other genes associated with some of the more autoimmune skin conditions thyroid dysfunction hormone imbalance autoimmunity, drug reactions, mitochondrial dysfunction, heavy metals, environmental toxins and allergies all play a role. So this is, you've got 16 different things. You can't just point at one thing and say, that must be it because Susie has that problem. No, somebody could be severely allergic to their dog and that could be causing their eczema but that doesn't mean that you're allergic to dogs. It could be an infection. It could be something else underneath the surface. So that's why it's important to, to, to cast a wider net and say, you know what, let me look at myself from this more holistic perspective, and then start putting the pieces together.
0: And I can also back up what you said um, a, a little while back in that the, the worst, uh, I read a, a GI map for my stool test and the worst GI map I've ever seen in conjunction with a SIBO breath test was on somebody that had exactly zero digestive mm-hmm. complaints, none whatsoever, nothing.
1: I know, so- and isn't that the case where you're just like, are you sure, are you sure you're being honest here? Like you're, you're just like, how do you have no complaints of the GI system at all? Like nothing. Like guts of and steel. <laughs> I know.
0: Um, all right. Can I ask one more question? You touched upon it briefly, but it's a point that I want to drive home and one that that I was shocked by how shocked people were. Um, on Instagram a couple of months ago, I, ate, I inadvertently ate a food trigger for me and got eczema rash around my eyes, which is one of my like telltale signs. And I posted about it and people lost their damn minds. I got so many messages in response to that because people didn't understand that connection. They're like, what do you mean your eczema rash around your eyes was caused by a food intolerance? So can you touch briefly, I know this is a huge topic, but may uh, how food sensitivities and food intolerances might manifest as skin reactions like eczema, for example.
1: Yeah. um, Well, intolerances are a bit different than sensitivities, obviously. And I'm sure your audience kind of knows that, that an intolerance is an issue where you don't have an enzyme to break something down. So we don't have enzymes to break eggs down. Just so we're clear, we have enzymes to break down histamines or to break down lactose. But when we're dealing with like, is our eggs an issue, for example, that would be a food sensitivity or a food allergy. And so those are just very different reactions. What I would say is that food can definitely be a trigger. Oftentimes, when I find that someone is reacting to a lot of food, the first question is, all right, um, I think the food sensitivity is actually a symptom of well it is a symptom of leakiness through the gut so it's not a root cause foods don't with the exception of gluten foods do not cause leakiness throughout the gut and we know that from research Um, so for me I'm like all right well if i'm being triggered by a food then i need to say what's going on in my gut what could be there that could have elicited some sort of response where the lining of the gut is no longer um, all nice and tightly sealed and so You know, there are other instances where people can have histamine reactions to foods, so they have difficulty breaking down histamine and that's a histamine intolerance and that can certainly show up as skin issues. That diet, by the way, is really difficult because you can't eat anything canned, you can't eat leftovers, everything has to be fresh, there's a lot of foods you have to avoid, so that can be tough. You can certainly try using a DAO enzyme and see if that helps. Usually take it, I believe, about 10 minutes before you eat every single meal um, and see if that helps. Otherwise, the diet is really the only way to do that. And Dr. Becky Campbell has a great book on how to do that. Um, She's going to be on the
0: show in a couple of weeks.
1: Perfect, Yeah, <laughs> good introduction. That totally, is a great segue, <laughs> thank you. Yes, but I do think that food quality also needs to be considered because I've had a lot of clients that feel like diet doesn't, it shouldn't, like your friends, like why would what I eat or what's going on in my gut be connected to my skin? And it does matter if you're not providing your body with nutritious food, um, You there's no chance that you're going to get nutrients. But then it ultimately comes down to, in my eyes, are you able to break down and absorb those nutrients that are there? Because just because you eat them, there's no guarantee they get in the system. And if your gut's really unhappy, there's an even higher chance that it's not going to get in the system. And if you have SIBO especially, there's also a very high incidence of fat and lipids, right? So let's think what's fat, lipids, uh, vitamin A, vitamin E, Vitamin K, so we're losing fat-soluble vitamins and omega threes, which are another nutrient, out of the system because the bacteria, when they're in the um, small intestine, um, they uh, they they basically deactivate bile, which is necessary for fat absorption. So you you have to keep in mind that. That's why I do, I like to look at regular labs. And I also sometimes like to look at functional labs that look at nutrient status because when there's a lot of inflammation going on and somebody's really unwell, if you're not absorbing that nutrition, I don't know where you think all the nutrients your body needs to function are going to come from. We don't make most things, we have to constantly eat it. And so to me, yes, absolutely, food can be a trigger, but I always like to say well what's really going on is it an allergy is it an intolerance where we're not producing an enzyme or is it that we've got leaky gut and now it's triggering the system under this um title of being a, a sensitivity so to me i always look look deeper but it's absolutely important
0: okay i i lied i do have one more quick question <laughs> so it, let's say do you ever do micronutrient panels yes okay so um, you see obviously primarily skin stuff. And if you're doing those micronutrient panels, what do you consistently see coming back low on folks with eczema, psoriasis, um, and other skin rashes? do you is there is there a pattern? Is it those fat soluble vitamins you were just mentioning?
1: Usually fat-soluble vitamins, uh, always vitamin A. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what type of skin condition someone has. I always ask for a serum vitamin A. It's usually low. Vitamin D can be hit or miss because sometimes people have gotten savvy and are taking much larger doses. Just depends on where they are. And also too, you have to remember vitamin A is not something common that many people like, I can't, I'm not eating liver. You're not going to catch me (laughs) around that with a 10-foot pole. So the amount of vitamin A rich foods that I eat is probably very limited. And to be fair, please everyone who's going, but you could eat beta carotene and it'll get converted to vitamin A. Well, (laughs) that's a nice theory. (laughs) But if you have issues within your GI tract or from from a genetic perspective, you don't do well converting beta carotene to the active form of, of vitamin A. Good luck with that. So, we can't assume that we are just all healthy. You know, it's one of those things when people say, I don't know how this happened. I feel like I was such a healthy kid, and then all of a sudden, the, it's like the train, the wheels flew off either side. Like, you know, I liken it to the fact that the body tries really hard. It wants to see us survive and thrive and it's juggling a lot of balls. And eventually a couple balls here and there a drop. And then eventually there's usually some sort of straw that breaks the camel's back and a lot of balls drop and all of a sudden you see these symptoms and all sorts of things. So that's why, you know, it's important to get a good intake of what are you eating? What's your daily life like? What are your stressors? What happened three months, six months, 12 months or two years even before the initial symptoms really onset? Um, Did you have any crazy exposures to things? You know, like one woman I worked with, she grew up on a farm in like Kansas or Iowa and didn't realize that as a kid running under the crop dusting was probably not the best idea because they all did it. So she was exposed to massive amounts of fertilizer and, and pesticides. And so, you know, like, Look, it's not to judge. It is what it is. We all just come to the table as we are, but we put pieces on the table and we make the best decisions possible based off of all these unique factors. And um, yeah, that's 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 the best I can I can do for you with that answer. <laughs> that was pretty
0: great. So Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we close out, um, I'm gonna link to all your goodies in the show notes. But just uh, tell everybody where they can find more of you and where they can sink their teeth more into this. I feel like we just, you know, we're we're able to to barely scratch the surface of all that is skin, but you have so many more resources available on your end.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm easily findable over on Instagram um, at Jennifer Fugo. I am posting there every single day. And I talk a lot about what's going on in my my life and all the different research that I'm coming across and the new podcasts and everything. But the Healthy Skin Show is honestly one of the best resources for people. I have guests that are from all over the world. I sometimes have clients that will come on and talk about their stories and other people that are just dealing and living with these skin conditions to talk about what it's like. And then I share research and insights from my own clinical practice as well. So that's a really great thing. It's available on all podcast platforms. And then the website that you can find all of my stuff on is skinterrupt.com. And I just want to say too, if anybody's interested in finding out if they have enough stomach acid, which I think is a really integral part of the process, it's the first thing I ask every single potential client to do. I have a great low stomach acid test you can do at home. It is not, by the way, taking betaine HCL because that makes me worry. What if somebody actually does have high stomach acid? And so this is very, very simple and it just walks you through the directions of mixing baking soda with water, drinking it, and you'll know, have a good sense of what's going on with your stomach acid.
0: Awesome. That will be so great. I'll link to that in the the notes. Um, Thank you so much, Jennifer. This was a great conversation. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Have a good day.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you.